Blog Talk Radio. Revolutionary greetings, Brother Africa. Thanks for having me. 
and revolutionary greetings to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father and Brother Anthony, we bring in Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Hey, thanks for helping me, Brother Africa. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki. I'm currently with African Awareness. But before I get into the importance of institution building, uh, one of the things I want to I want to uh, make is my condolences to uh, Sister Carolyn Mwafi Ochenyi out of Kenya. She was a Kenya activist uh, who died under questionable circumstances. She headed the Gandora Social Justice Center, and uh, she was very much concerned about police brutality and the killing of innocent people by the police. So my heart goes out to her and her family in terms of her courageous stand that she took in under very difficult circumstances to raise the issue in terms of police brutality. Uh, now, in terms of institutions, Brother Africa, one of the things I recently read an article, and it talked about the fact that uh, 100 uh, Microsoft employees signed a statement to the CEO of Microsoft stating, they were in opposition to technology that the U.S. government could use for war. In particular, they talked about reality headsets, which makes it appear as though when you kill someone, it's kind of it's a video game. And they felt that that kind of technology was simply unacceptable, simply because they, they didn't sign on to work with Microsoft for the creation of technology for the purpose of destroying or killing human life. And so my, my congratulations goes out to the 100 individuals at Microsoft who took a noble stand. Now, of course, one of the things that's very interesting is that uh, uh, Microsoft received a $479 million contract from the federal government to contribute, create this technology. The mere fact that they took a stand uh, means that their economic interest is not necessarily served, but the interests of humanity are more important than the dollars and cents. So if Microsoft employees can, can stay, take a stand against their justice and pressure free from this country, well, why can't we create institutions in the African community to push back against the injustices and the pressures that are happening you know, in the midst of our communities? So institutions are extremely important in Africa, Brother Africa, and I encourage people to get busy about the task of creating those institutions because the clock is ticking. And I want to thank you for having me, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Aki. Father and Brother Aki, we now bring in Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Peace, everybody. Brother Jabari, resident researcher. Um, I just wanted to share something I've come across in my research. I know that um, Republicans have been excited about the 2019 CPAC convention, which is a keynote event for them. And one thing I see as we're in the age of Trumpism to keep the charade going, there's a number of people of color more than what they usually have that have been um, amongst the keynote speakers that they invite. So people have to understand there's a charade that's been going on, even the Oscars played a factor in it that. If you have people of color participate in the event and you give them a couple of awards of some kind, that means that because of the visibility that everything must be okay. To understand the mind trick being played, visibility does not mean power. Peace. All right. That's an important point, Brother Barry. We definitely agree with you. Visibility does not mean power. Let's follow in Brother Barry. We now bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for social, scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class 
back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the often finisher of my faith, and that Malfaith tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. And, and like always, we'd like to welcome our listening audience to join in with us by calling 323-679-0841. Hit 1, we will acknowledge your last four numbers. We'd like to know what's going on in your world and the community. So starting us off right there, Brother Anthony, uh, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay, certainly. Um, well, uh, ba- uh, back home uh, in the motherland, uh, March 1st uh, marks a significant anniversary. On uh, March 1st, 1896, Ethiopia defeated Italy's attempt to colonize it in the Battle of Adwa. And, uh, and uh, that was the, fr- uh, the, the first time uh, in modern uh, 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 a modern European country had been defeated by uh, by an African country, uh, so uh, you know it caused a lot of controversy in Europe at the time it occurred, and Italy didn't try to invade Ethiopia again for another fifty years uh, under uh, Mussolini. And uh, so that was of significance. And also, um, uh, let's see, there is an ongoing, uh, let's see, uh, Trump's uh, attempt to, uh, uh, to, 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 uh, to bring in, uh, to invade Venezuela under the guise of humanitarian aid was defeated by the people of uh, Venezuela. Okay. Next, thank you, Brother Anthony. We're going to go to Brother Jabari. What's going on in your world in the community? Okay, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Well, recently I was reading that Amazon is going to open a new chain of grocery stores because, as we all familiar with, they recently purchased Whole Foods, but they're going to have their own separate um, line of grocery stores. Now, I find this particularly troubling because it was only around four years or so ago Amazon entered into agreement with um, intelligence where they were going to create a cloud technology for them. So the fact that you have um, this big company that for one, on one end doesn't pay tax, on another end has entered into agreements with those um, entities that are counterproductive to the people, why am I going to trust them to provide um, a grocery service for me? So you would think more people would be alarmed, but ultimately I think people just going to go for the okie doke with this development and not even ask questions about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, Zabari. Anything else you'd like to share with our listening audience? Okay, let's move on. Next we bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, there's there's been uh, some recent uh, uh, congressional, um, I don't know how to call it, but threats to uh, um, start impeachment, uh, uh, 
uh, actions against the president. I thought that was significant. Uh, um, they're actually trying to uh, come up some support for his obstruction of justice. Also, also there's a film uh, on on March seventh. Uh, uh, it's about the Cuban Revolution, and it's going to be shown in D.C. I, I don't have all the information, but uh, uh, people should look 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 contact the uh, Cuban Embassy, I guess. Uh, but there is a, a, a film about the revolution in Cuba. I, can't, I think it's 7 p.m. at, at 1200 U Street, I believe. On March the seventh, uh, in D.C. in Washington D.C. Uh, also, I think on the, I think about the, it seemed like I saw the announcement on the seventeenth. There was a commemoration for a brother who, who died recently, passed away recently, and uh, they're going to have a memorial service in D.C. Uh, I should get more information on that, but. Uh, is that um that corruption is so rampant 
that is that is even affecting uh, you, you know the upper strata of the ruling class of society to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see if we can come to that, Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, what's going on in your world in the community? Yeah, well, you know, one thing I'm concerned about in Africa is the creeping authoritarianism uh, that's taking place. And it's taking place under the guise of censorship. And there's a couple of examples in which I'm very concerned about that's going on in the world. First, in the United States, there's a young brother, uh, Jamal Knox. He's a rapper out of Pittsburgh. He was convicted of using uh, rap lyrics that, in fact, they perceived as threatening. Now, ironically, one of the things, that when you talk about rap lyrics, ordinarily, rap lyrics are normally just exaggeration and bluster. You know, it's all about appearing tough, but not necessarily being tough. So we understand that. Um, but unfortunately, those musicians of power are now using rap lyrics as a means in terms of coming at rappers so as to deter public speech. And if that's not outrageous enough, in, in the U.K., uh, the police officials, along with the judiciary, banned the five drill rappers. Now, drill is music uh, out of Chicago, what we colloquially call uh, gangster rap. But in any event, uh, they stipulated, according to the criminal behavior orders, that this particular group was prohibited from um, talking about anything pertaining to death, injury, or rival zip codes. That's very, very interesting. And it goes on to say that when they do a video, they have 24 hours to inform the police that they're going to do a video, or they have 24 hours uh, to inform police if they're going to do a live concert. Uh, I'm sorry, that's uh, 48 hours to inform the police that they're going to do a live concert. So the mere fact that uh, the speech is being criminalized speaks values in terms of attention in terms of authoritarianism, and we have to be very, very concerned about that because, of course, we understand the nature of it, the nature of um, when we talk about uh, the change of taking place in society, and we understand that any time government uh, and, and corporations cooperate, then we have fundamentally we have a real problem, and particularly in the situation in America where corporations actually tell the government what to do. And so we have a real, real problem in terms of that happening, in, you know, throughout the world. So this question in terms of censorship is something that we pay very, very close attention to, and I suspect that the mere fact that it's happening to rappers, nobody's going to take it very, very seriously until they're ultimately affected. So I'm very concerned about the creep authoritarianism that's happening in the United States and throughout the world. You know, Brother Hockey, also that's, that's one of the features of the development of fascism, when corporations began to control and influence and govern the government. Um, and we are, we can see the large role that corporations are playing there all over the world when, when it comes to power and their ability to dictate to to various governments. So, um, you know, I agree with the point that you're raising. Your panelists, before we go to our but break, Africa, I would like for y'all... Yes, go ahead, Let me just make a distinction between the fascism and authoritarianism. You're absolutely correct, uh, but the difference is that when you talk about fascism, you talk about the emergence of government and corporate in the corporate state. Uh, a well, the corporation well an unusual amount of power, and so therefore they're in a position to actually set the terms under which government operates. But when you talk about authoritarianism, you're simple, essentially what you're talking about is their ability to dictate everything you do, uh, to the, what you say, what you, what, how you dress, so forth and so on. So it's much more insidious kinds of um, uh, a government uh, um, invasion of one's uh, of one's one's autonomy than fascism. So I'm very much concerned about authoritarianism. But that's the next step of the fascism. 
So most people take the position that fascism is on its way. I take the position that fascism has been here since the emergence of the corporate and, and the and the uh, and the um, and the and the uh, and the uh, government. So once that merger took place, it effectively means fascism is already here, which explains why you, as as as, as workers, you have no fundamental rights in society that essentially at the mercy of corporations because they call the shots. That the government that is supposed to be here to protect the people, to protect the citizenry, are uh, uh, effectively ineffective, and nothing they can do in terms of preventing the corporation from having its will. So I think that's a fundamental distinction between the fascism and authoritarianism. So that's my view on that. Okay. Well taken. Uh, Pamela, you know, I was reading an article this week that made me go, hmm. And I'd like to get your response to this article. Uh, it was an article I read in reference to what was taking place in the judiciary system, the legal system in Australia. And uh, the, 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 the major crux of the article was that it was talking about how large sums of defense attorneys, lawyers, have been including have been recruited and are operating as informers for the government, for the state. Many of the lawyers turn information over to the state on their own clients where they're supposed to be defending. Man, when I read the article, I was wondering in terms of how much of that reality also exists here in the U.S. and other European countries, Western nations, where lawyers, defense lawyers, many of them have been, recru- have been recruited as informers for the state. Because ultimately, when you look at the judiciary system, just legally by law, even if you're a lawyer of any, in any capacity, your major obligation is to the state and not to uh, really to your clients. You're really defending and you're an agent of the state. And uh, you know, and their obligation is more so to the state, based upon my understanding of the history and the practices and legality of, 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 of what lawyers are bound by. So I'm just wondering... Do you think this phenomenon also may exist here uh, in the U.S. and elsewhere in Western countries where many lawyers have been recruited uh, working as, as informants for, for the state? You know, I think... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say I think that, that there's some possibility that the same phenomenon occurs in the U.S., Mainly because, partly be, uh, for two reasons. One, both Australia and the U.S. are settler colonies, and both were at one time part of the British Empire. So their legal systems are based upon uh, uh, British, uh, British uh, legal uh, customs or, 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 or traditions. So they're fairly similar. So it's a possibility it might... Uh, it might occur in the U.S. and for the similar reason, it uh, um, you know uh, uh, as uh, capitalism tends towards um, you know uh, you know fascism, and uh, there is an effort to monitor what people do or think, and also to put put a tighter control over people's thinking. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the example would be um, former uh, Supreme Court Justice Powell. Uh, Powell was a big informant for, for, the, for the FBI. Uh, matter of fact, that's how he rose to power, because of his willingness to betray his clients. So this precedent has already been set. 
So does it exist today? Absolutely, absolutely. There are those those unscrupulous lawyers who you know who are selling their clients out, you know you know for maybe a personal uh, personal gain or even monetary gain. Uh, so I think that, uh, but it's it's consistent with the, the the overall political atmosphere in society, in terms of this willingness, in terms of be on top of everything, control everything. So the only way possibly, if only way conceivable for the government to stay on top of everything, is to make sure it knows everything. Of course, it cannot know everything, but it, it seeks to know everything. So in addition to the spying, if you have lawyers who are willing to obey, to disregard their their oath, and simply betray their own clients. And it makes the government even more powerful. So I'm very much concerned of this. But to answer your question, Brother Africa, definitely there are lawyers in America who betray their clients all the time for personal gain or annual economic wealth. So uh, I'm not surprised at all. But that's, again, indicative of the system or the kind of environment that we find ourselves uh, confronted with. Well, you know, based on the city that I live in, uh, we have actually had lawyers that have came out publicly and stated that they was informants for the FBI. And these were well-known lawyers who are now making money, and they stated that they have collaborated with, with and was informants for the FBI. So they, and this this was years ago. They were doing it years ago. I'm quite sure it hasn't lessened. I'm quite sure it has intensified. So, you know, I was, I was just effort. wondering in terms of, yes, yes, Brother Jabari, go ahead. I wanted to just chime in. When I took media law, we had a well-known attorney in the city which I lived in as a guest speaker, and he said something that many attorneys um, do, but they won't necessarily make it known publicly, that the only reason he even became an attorney, somebody told him he could make a large amount of money rather quickly. Now, whenever you have, especially in the Western Constrict, where it's, now, it's not about justice but about the money you can make, if you're in an area that's known to be a high-crime locale, what's to say you won't be cutting deals where in lieu of keeping people, keeping your clients out, you get them a lower sentence? And that's the way it goes. basically becomes a kangaroo court where you pretty much the judge, everybody know how the routines go. You're going to represent these clients, which you know are guilty, but you're going to get them a lower sentence, but at the same time you're still going to get somebody convicted. So the statistics are what you want people to get. And you keep the charade going and everybody knows what to expect. Given when you look at it, if money is the incentive, what's stopping that from happening? Because it's easy for those kind of arrangements to happen. Nobody would even know. Well, you're not going to necessarily fight for your client, but you're going to get them a reduced sentence. But as long as you get the profit, that's what the important thing is, and the game will be played. I think the why is, you know, spoke to these kind of phenomena happening. But you know, Brother Africa, but, but you know, Brother Africa, What's interesting about the articles, and we talk about the, the extent to which the uh, officials in Australia would go to conceal uh, this kind of corruption, is very unusual. Uh, normally, in the, in the extent that, to the extent that you're going to try to conceal this kind of, this kind of um, erroneous uh, activity, normally there's a mixture in terms of exposure and concealment. But in this case, it's simply all concealment. They are saying to the public, Yes, we have these problems in terms of lawyers operating with the judiciary and operating with law enforcement. But you know what? We're not going to disclose exactly what it is or who they are that participated in these atrocities. So the mere fact that the Australian government is willing to say to the people that, listen, uh, you know, that this happens, we know it happened, and we're going to conceal it, su- suggests 
that they are, they're not only complicit in terms of what's happening, but they expect this process to continue. So it's very, very unfortunate that you have this kind of situation in Australia in which, you know, with all the problems that Australians have, that at very minimum you would think that, at very, you know, that you would want a fair a, uh, a judicial system which operates above board and which law enforcement were held in check, but apparently not. So this, this sweeping trend in terms of authoritarianism, you know, around the world is affecting nations throughout the world, and Australia is not immune from from the uh, from this from this uh, from this, uh, this this uh, this 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 notion of how government should be run. I think Brother Hackey in the article you use the word concealment. That's an that's an understatement. They guys so they must conceal everybody who played a role in it. They not liberty to discuss anything from the judges to the to the lawyers to you name them. You know, I agree with you. But I find it to be really interesting. I think people need to be aware of that there are so many um tools of oppression that the state has that they can use against you. So you need to understand, you know, how to fight it. In order to know how to fight it, you need to understand what is that you're fighting and what tools they are using. So I thought I'd just raise that so people be conscious of this particular phenomena in terms of when you're talking about the legal system, even when you go to these lawyers. You, you know, it's really not fundamentally that, that much different between um, a lawyer that you hire and your um, prosecutor. They both seem to be working the same end of, the, of justice. That's for us to criminalize you as a criminal. So, hey, panelists, you are listening to Africa on the Move. We are discussing what's going on in your community and the world. If you have anything that you'd like to share at this point in time, feel free to call in at 323 679 0841. That's 323 679 0841. Please hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers and share your information with us. So, at this point in time, we're going to pause for the call, take a station break, and when we come back, we will continue discussing what's going on in our world community, and we will get into our theme tonight, which is stealing wealth is our game. We are talking about Venezuela, Cuba, Syria. We were even talking about Barack Obama want to create a basketball league in Africa for the West, and this whole question about taxing the rich and the rural Amazon around taxes. Those will be some of the issues that we'll be discussing discussing coming up. We'd like for you to call in and share your opinions. Again, please call 323-679-0841 and hit 1 and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So right now we'll be back. We're going to pause for this call and you are listening to Africa on the Move.
like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. And like always, we've got to remind you, don't forget your history, which means don't become a Buffalo soldier. As Brother Marley stated, we will fight upon a, upon arrival, and we have been fighting for our survival. Stop fighting the walls for the enemy. Do not become a Buffalo soldier. My audience, panelists, we'd like to welcome everyone back to Africa on the Moon. If there's anything else you would like to say on what's going on in your world and community, please do so. If not, we're going to make that transition to today's theme, which is Stealing Wealth is Our Game. When we talk about Stealing Wealth, wealth is Our Game, we are talking about the enemy. We are talking about the capitalist imperialist system. We are talking about all those who have values and principles that are based upon stealing wealth from other people. Controlling and dominating people labor, controlling and dominating people talent, controlling and dominating people resources, and they have no shame in that game. You know, the game of the day is let's steal, take, and loot. And some will argue that has always been the game. So we're going to talk about um, some of the things going on within, within that context. Because what do you do with stolen property? When can you reclaim these properties back? When can you um, dictate? when and how you should receive your wealth back that has been taken from you and what the value should be once you have recaptured. So we'd like to give that some thought. And panelists, at this point in time, let's go into our first article for the day, which is titled, Donald Trump War on Recolonization Against Venezuela. Uh, this comes from Telesur. It was printed on the 1st of February, 2019. Again, the title is Donald Trump War or Recolonization Against Venezuela. Brother Anthony, the word recolonization raises a lot of um, images in one's mind when you look at the history of the West and their role in Central and South America. Now, when you read this article, Brother Anthony, what were some of the feature points of value that you have taken from it? Well, one is the fact that the recolonization effort is based upon a lot of lies and misinformation about about the realities of Venezuela, and 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 the fact that a lot of the problems that exist in Venezuela are caused by uh, by, the, by 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 moves made by the by the imperialist powers. Such as freeze, such as this uh, 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 embargo, in which they freezed all of uh, Venezuela's assets, and uh, the imperialists able to do this because they're in control of the banking system. So they've got the assets frozen, and in the meantime, they're making a big deal through their propaganda organ, the media. About all the about this uh, humanitarian so-called humanitarian aid they give in Venezuela, which is a drop in the bucket compared uh, to the assets that are frozen in these imperialist countries, and also the uh, also Britain has uh, seized uh, some of uh, Venezuela's uh, gold, and so uh, there and also. Um, you know, uh, a, a person cannot appoint himself a, a, a head of state. Uh, you know, when the, when the, when the current head of government is still in power, 
and that goes against uh, any country's constitution and against international law. And, uh, you know, they're trying to use uh, Guaido as a puppet in order uh, to roll back the clock in terms of, uh, you know, the progress that Venezuela has made over the last 20 years, in which, uh, in spite of all the hardships they're facing right now, the overall conditions of the masses of Venezuelans have been improved since the socialist part of Venezuela has been in power. Okay. You know, Brother Haki, one of the narratives from this article, and you're constantly at uh, the West propaganda, they're trying to paint the picture to to the masses of the people in the world that Venezuela is a threat. It's a threat to peace and security in the region, and, and as well as a threat to the U.S. Now, based upon what you have read, based upon what you have researched, uh, how do you address that particular um, misconception lie? You talking to me about the Africa? Yes, yes, Brazaki. How oh, do I'm you address sorry. this whole? I, 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 yeah, how do you ahead. address this whole misconception of they trying to paint a picture of Venezuela as being a, 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 a threat to peace, a, a threat to um, a, a, a threat to U.S. interests and their well-being? And um, this is what the narrative is going on. I said, based on what you have read and based on this article. How do you speak to this issue or this, this narrative that, you, that Venezuela, its present government, is a threat to peace and, and destabilization of other countries in the, in, in, in the Central and South American region and the Caribbean? Well, ironically speaking, Brother Africa, uh, the reality is when you talk about it being a threat to the United States, it's a threat, but not for the reason articulated by the imperialist powers. It's a threat because socialism you know, unlocks the potential of its population to achieve. And one of the things that the capitalists don't want to achieve, want to want to have happen is that these socialist countries actually so invest in their people to the likelihood of the West manipulating or undermining them or destabilizing their governments for the sole purpose of controlling their 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 resources become very difficult to achieve. So for the government it's very important to make sure that these governments remain debilitated and they remain debilitated by simply continu- continuation of capitalism, capitalism tenets in order to ensure that the domination of one class over another persists, which means that a large number of people in that society will have, have access to education, to decent housing, to good food. And this is in the interest of, of, of the imperialist powers because they want to make sure that people are ripe for manipulation. This is important to understand this. But when we talk about this, uh, this, 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 this threat of socialism, the thing about Africa also we have to understand there's also a lot of precedent in terms of this kind of behavior of imperialist-minded individuals toward socialism. As a matter of fact, back in the 18th century, there was a book, and everybody should read this one. It's called Rehearsible Reconstruction, the Port Royal Experiment. It's written by Willie Lee Rose. Essentially what happened was the position was that African people are not intelligent enough to run their own governments. And so what happens is they set aside a large piece of land in the South Seas and South Carolina for Africans to operate. But the Africans took that land and they built upon it. They built schools, they built hospitals, uh, they built uh, infrastructure. They did such a good job in terms of building these things that their economy rivaled the economy of the South. Now, of course, as opposed to praising the achievements of those Africans who were given that land to create this experiment, they destroyed it. 
because they realized that an educated, a strong, and self-assertive African population wasn't in an interest in terms of exploitation. And so exploitation is key in terms of the survival of capitalism, and so therefore they destroyed the, uh, that movement, uh, the, the Port Royal Experiment. So this notion in terms of this antagonism that exists between imperialist powers and countries who seek to, seek to impose socialism is a long historic one. And I think, keep in mind, it's very interesting, very interesting paradox. Um, it's um, not paradox, but interesting paradigm. When you think about white nations that imp- implement socialism, like the Scandinavian nations, that's okay. It's okay to create a well-rounded, well-educated, well-fed population. But the moment people of color, particularly African people, start creating socialism, to create a well-nourished, uh, well, uh, well, well-educated, uh, all-around human being, then Western powers implicitly see a threat, and they want to destroy it. So the consequence you see them wanting to destroy Venezuela, wanting to destroy Cuba, wanting to destroy Nicaragua, they destroy Grenada. Uh, this is because their position is clear. In order for us to export these people, that we got to keep them debilitated. And so, therefore, socialism tends to elevate human beings, and we don't want human beings to be elevated. We want them in a, in, 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 in a stagnant position where uh, there's, their life uh, has a certain amount of uncertainty, a certain amount of strife, a certain amount of pain, which makes it almost impossible for them to rise. And that's what capitalism seeks to do. Socialism seeks to undermine that. And so as far as the U.S. is concerned and other Western powers, the reason why a, 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 when nations become socialism is a real threat to their interests, which is to maintain domination control by all costs. And that is the implicit threat of, uh, of uh, Venezuela um, you know, to, uh, to the United States and other Western powers. As far as, as, far as a, a threat to his neighbors, of course not. Most of the Central American countries embrace what they're doing in Venezuela. And most of Venezuela, most of the countries in Venezuela, in, in, in the Central and South America, embrace what Cuba is doing. They embrace Nicaragua. Uh, you only have a few puppets like Brazil, uh, like Colombia, Peru. Well not Peru, not Peru. Um, there's a few others also who are embrace you know, uh, the, the, the desire to be puppets of the West. Most of them are striving to be free and independent, away and to break away from the West. So this notion that it's a threat to his neighbor is just hogwash. But of course. Understanding Western um, propaganda, this is a line they always push because the reality is they don't want people to really understand that what they're really trying to do is to essentially destroy people for the sole purpose of maintaining control and domination. Okay, Brother Jabari and Robert, when you read this article, what are some of the concerns um, came to your attention as you read this article? Brother Jabari and then Brother Moses, your response. One of my major concerns is that, unfortunately, given that so many entities are brought into the hype of the um, negative rhetoric that has been spewed, how much is that going to impact um, Venezuelan relations with um, certain groups as well as its tourism industry? Because as we know, Venezuela has a lot to offer in the world in terms of it not only being exemplary Example of what democracy should look like, but also it offers people beautiful scenery that they can enjoy if they need somewhere to go for a peace of mind that's being destabilized. Because as we have seen in terms of what Western domination does, it will take areas where people of color can go to clear their mind and enjoy themselves and have peace and take it and turn it into a corporate paradise. We've seen it happen with a tourist destination locally in New Orleans. We've seen it with numerous examples of what happened in terms of how there's been further destabilization after the hurricane that hit Puerto Rico. So we got to understand that's the name of the game, to destabilize so they can go in and turn it into a corporate paradise. 
Brother Moses, your take, what did you take from this article? Yeah, well, you know, this is this is a, a clear-cut case of of uh, imperialism and an attempt to recolonize uh, the Venezuelan people, to rip them off of their resources, especially their oil. oil. And Donald uh, Trump said, you know, he said, uh, you know, they're near us and they've got a lot of oil in them, and he would like to have it. And uh, the the, the um, renegade president, so-called self-proclaimed president, is a oil company employee. Uh, the 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 rhetoric is all it's all plain and clear. It's just propaganda, you know, about how how Cuba and Nicaragua and Venezuela are, are a threat to the peace of the region. And you know, it's only the U.S. U.S. trying to get control of the resources of these countries, and uh, they prop up, you know, rhetoric of democracy and and uh, all kinds of um, threats, un unsubstantiated threats to the region. But um, President Maduro, you know, is 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 determined to get, have control of of his people's natural resources and not have them uh, eluded by the United States government and Trump. And you know, this is this is this has been this this attitude uh, of capitalism and uh, imperialism has been going on for years and it's it's nothing new for anybody who's studied history and understand history. You know, they can see through these plots. And uh, we need to expose it as much as possible. Thank you. Hey, Brother Africa. Brother Africa. Brother Africa. What is the correlation between um, imperialist policies abroad and the uh, capitalist policies inside the United States? It's very interesting. When you think in terms of undermining people to make sure they create conditions to make sure that people don't um, rise to the to the best of their ability, uh, when you look at the United States, it's very interesting. And you talk about the just in terms of funding of schools, uh, the situation they have a, a formula in place to ensure that inner city schools don't have the resources they need to educate these children. Now, why is that? Why is that supposedly it's the United States that we're all one people that you would create a system, put it in place to ensure that a sub segment of uh, sub segment of the sub section of the populace uh, won't won't be properly educated. Why would you do that? Why, why is that a way of uh, reducing competition? Is, is that the aim? So in that case, uh, the, the individuals, particularly African Americans, who are victims of these kind of strategies, are they really quote unquote citizens of the United States, or are they others? Uh, in terms of pluralism, pluralism suggests that this treatment of African people in the context of America. Are seen as other people. They're not seen as citizens. And so, therefore, the kind of things that you do to them are forever consistent. Even when you talk about something something like housing, why would you have create a situation in which you give subsidies to rich to rich white folks, middle class white folks, to allow them to move, you know, into the suburbs, and then leave the city, abandon the city, and then 
to, to totally uh, be financed or any possibility, any kind of finances whatsoever, is totally void when it comes to the city, leaving the people virtually powerless in terms of their ability to affect real change in society. Again, is this because you're a U.S. citizen or they perceive you as something else? Uh, so it seems to be that when we look at this, 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 this correlation between how they treat people around the world who are, who are African descent or people of color, and we look at well, how they treat African people and or Latin people right here in America, there was a real, there's a real, very, a very, very eerie uh, similarity in terms of the tactics they employ. All of it suggests that people of color, African people, are in fact expendable. And it was reflected in terms of systematically how they go about how they go about you know creating various systems that impact on these on the African and Latin population. So it's very, very interesting this paradox for those people who believe that in fact that uh, somehow the treatment of African people somehow except a, a distinct and different from the treatment of Africans around the world understand it's all part of the same strategy. Hmm, I'm in, I'm in agreement with me, in agreement with you. You make me thinking about <clears throat> a similar question on the one you raised: was the difference between domestic terrorism that's sanctioned by the state and international terrorism that's carried out by the state? I mean, they function, you know, seem the same, and they have a, 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 a um, they have a what I would say a process in which they are very consistent in terms of. How do you who are and who are not their enemy? So you know to raise that point for the panelists, uh, brother Anthony and others, brother Hackey, you may be thinking about some of the questions that um, that are raised in this article as it relates to uh, the opposition, particularly if you claim you to be a citizen. And I think brother Maduro raised some interesting questions, which I read for those who have not had the privilege to read the article. When it comes to the fact that these puppets of the United States was to ask for that country to intervene in Venezuela, he stated that where has a citizen ever been seen to ask for a military action that could provoke so much suffering amongst his own people while asking to be called president? Where has a citizen ever been seen to accept the theft of his own people's resources while asking to be called president? Hmm. I thought it'd be interesting in terms of looking at you know this old question of who is really a native, who is a national, who is who who really uh, has an interest for the people versus who may have interest or carrying out for someone else. I think that was a very uh, keen, interesting analysis. How does people uh, describe some of the contradiction among the opposition in terms of how they're behaving and what they represent? So I like to get your response to that, and it reminds me of um, internally when you look at politicians that in positions and they operate from a position of representing those who have wealth and power. It seems like a very consistent. They also have policies and uh, make decisions that really um, undermine overall well-being and development of the community. So, panelists. When you look at this opposition and this old question, when someone asks for help that can help cause more suffering to their people, someone is willing to allow their country to accept money and resources to be outright taken, what kind of opposition is that, panelists? Your response to that, to those those questions and that phenomenon. 
Ashley, uh, what I think people need to keep in mind is that there's a class, and then very intense class struggle going on in Venezuela today. And it's similar, and it's very similar to the class struggle that's going on in the U.S. And uh, and there is a corresponding, and uh, in Venezuela, race and class have a very close correlation to each other. And uh, Juan Guaido, the uh, puppet, uh, the U.S. puppet, represents uh, the ruling class inside Venezuela. The 1% of Venezuela's 1%, if you will. They, uh, they control the uh, refining industry, the manufacturing industry, they own the industry. And they work against the interests of the masses of the people, similar to the way the bourgeoisie in the U.S. does. And, what hap- and, and, and the reason why you see this disparity in terms of the way resources are allocated, for example, in education, in education, uh, public education is funded based upon property taxes uh, or property values. Uh, which cor- which correlate to property taxes. So the more uh, so so the more valuable uh, communities that have more valuable property get greater educational resources generally in the U.S. And uh, that's why there's disparity between uh, you know uh, you know resources for education for indigenous and Africans versus uh, Europeans. And um, uh, one of the things that the Socialist Party of Venezuela has tried to reverse is the is the years of that da- the centuries of damage caused by colonialism, capitalism, and neocolonialism. And uh, what this the current U.S. administration is trying to do is trying to turn back the clock to go back to the days when. Um, when, when when the U.S. ran roughshod over Venezuela and dominated its resources. Okay, Anthony, yeah. what we're going to do right now, we, we have a call on line, Brother Hockey. We'll come back to you. Let's try to take this call on right now and see what they have to say. We'd like to bring call on 4727. Call on 4727. Welcome to Africa on the Move. The mic is yours. All right. Uh, thanks for letting me on. Uh, good to hear you all again. Uh, been a while since I got to listen to the show, so uh, I guess this is a good time for it with so much going on. But I, I have a question for you guys just because uh, this is something that's kind of popped up online uh, over the past year or so, and it's gotten a little momentum now. Uh, it, it, it's like a, it's a reactionary movement. It's called ABOS, uh, American Descendants of Slaves. And there are a lot of black people signing on to it with the idea that they're going to get something in the form of reparations. Uh, They're not going within COBRA and some of the people who've been fighting for this for years. And and it's it's just really weird to interact with them online. They are very anti-African outside of America. Uh, They use American flags in their avatar as a way to identify so you can kind of see the angle that they're coming from uh, as far as, you know, a basic beggary program where they 
kind of wrapped themselves in the American flag. But I don't know if you guys have seen this or heard talk about it, but this appears to be a huge problem, man. So instead of uh, an Afri- African point of view or an idea about us all being African, uh, they appear to have uh, decided they're going to back into a corner and become, I guess, so-called Americans, and they think this is the new route. So we got a lot of people involved in this. And I assume when the Democrats tell them no reparations are coming, they're just not going to vote. And I, I, I don't know, like, how to engage with people on this, man, because you, the, some of the stuff that they say, uh, uh, like when you try to get them to understand some of the stuff that's going on internationally, they say F them, F them. They're not ADOS. When they come here, they do, you know, typical xenophobia, xenophobic stuff that you would usually hear from right-wingers. Uh, this is in our community right now. So I, I wanted to ask you brother, what you thought about it and I guess how to engage uh, with some of these folks. Good boy, I, I don't Carla. Good boy, Carla. Can you identify again who is this group or who is this, this movement one more time? Yeah, like I said, it started online, so I don't know how much, you know, Cash Ed has uh, as far as real movement on the ground. They got an event coming up. But it's called ADOS, American Descendants of Slaves. Okay. Okay, good. I apparently shall respond to the brother issues issues they raised. Okay. Um I would say that well one, judging from the name of the organization, American Descendants of Slaves. They seem to start the history from where the sh- uh, from uh, from where the slave ship left our ancestors back in uh, 1619, and their frame of reference is limited. Uh, our history goes back millions of years, and um, and actually the, the 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 experience in Western Hemisphere is only one aspect of it. And also, it seems to be very, and 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 we do have that problem in our community of micronationalism, and uh, and a certain degree of uh, U.S. Uh, 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 chauvinism, also, which is a consequence of the fact that, uh, you know, our educational system is dominated by European uh, ideology, particularly the the ruling class. Of Europeans, and uh, that affects our outlook a great deal, unfortunately. And some of us are inculcated to a certain degree more than others. And uh, that would be uh, that would be my initial response to that. Yeah, the, the position is very idiotic. I mean, if your position is that you're for reparations, then it has to go back to Africa. Uh, without Africa being part of the equation, you can't make the case for reparations. So the position on its on its face is idiotic. But I'm not surprised that you do have a lot of ignorance when it comes to when it comes to uh, a lot about people. Uh, a lot of people spot that ignorance, thinking that somehow they're intelligent and not understanding that something is simply what the powers that be want you to espouse. Also, I think one of the things is that you know uh, when you talk about you know this American uh, descendants of slaves, what is what is very interesting. Is that somehow this attempt to divorce your history from Africa is self-defeating? 
Because if you, in fact, if you start your history here in America, then it's clearly, uh, it's very difficult to make the case, you know, that you're other than a slave. Even the balanced examples in terms of our people's accomplishments, be they scientific, be they, be they political, be they social, be they educationally, they abound. But one thing is clear, when you look in terms of the origin of human being, a much grander case can be made in terms of the, 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 the creativity and intelligence of African people. Which, you know, and, and so when you start talking about how all that started with, Af- with people who look like us, then it speaks values in terms of your contributions not only to, you know, to, to Western society but throughout the world. And so therefore, a much, a much, much, much grander case when you explain to your kids what it is to be an African person. To say to be a black person has very limited appeal in terms of its overall application, particularly when you talk about accomplishing the African people. That doesn't negate the fact that great, great, great things have been created by African people in America. Don't get me wrong, and throughout the West as well. Don't get me wrong, but a much grander presentation to come from an African perspective, which is more all encompassing, which starts at the very beginning of human history. So therefore, these people that you're talking about, I'm not surprised. This kind of ignorance it does exist. And as Brother alluded to, it is a certain element of class. It's also an element in terms of self-hatred, because of the whole thing, if you can distance yourself from African people, that somehow you give yourself your one up on Africans because there's something other than African. And that, in one face, is also absurd, because you are African. No matter how much you try to change it, no matter how much you change your name, no matter how much you wear a suit or a fancy dress, no matter how much you speak the English language, you're still an African. That fundamentally doesn't change. So this kind of ignorance that these people are espousing, I'm not surprised, brother. It, it exists. And that's one of our struggles in terms of the movement. We have to eradicate this kind of ignorance. But it's, it's a process. Anyone else? How will we respond to a call? Let me take this other caller right here, and you're still on the line, and we'll continue to discuss it. Let's see what caller 6103 has to say. Caller 6103, welcome to Africa on the Move. The mic is yours, 6103. Yes good, e- yes, good evening, sir. How are you doing? Good evening. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just want to say, as uh, someone that's myself, uh, I'm part of every train and part of Philippine. I just want to say to the last comment that the last gentleman made, I don't see anything wrong with African Americans identifying as African Americans because of the fact that most of them don't know where exactly from after they were from. They don't know what cultures they came from. And to their credit, they developed their own unique culture here that's distinct from any other culture in the world. And I, so I, as an African myself, I don't see any problem with them identifying with that. All right, we got another issue on, 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 you know, on the board. So, Palace, this caller said he don't see no problem in terms of identifying as being African-American and he just had well, his position. First and foremost, Brother Africa, I want to respond to this. Yeah. How can anyone accept the notion of an American when you got to note that the concept of America came about um, people renaming something which had already been inhabited, already had been established. He had a civilization that was minded in its own business before a number of things transpired and certain part of history was rewritten. So anytime you accept that kind of um, thinking, that means that you're accepting the colonial mind state that it's okay to conquer people and change their whole culture and put in whatever your image and whatever you find it favorable. So anytime you accept that kind of mind state, that's very problematic, and that leads to a myriad of consequences because we're still dealing with the can of worms that was open from that to this very day. Was it the conquest ethic and universal behavior that's all around the world? 
repeat that? Yeah, I was saying, isn't, isn't the conquest ethic a universal trait that you see worldwide throughout the history of mankind? Well, there's, there's, there's different, there's different, there's varying degrees in terms of, con- of control of other human beings. Uh, you know, you know, colonizing other human beings doesn't necessarily mean you have to be brutal and be, you don't have to be dehumanized. And so, Africa, you got many examples of Africa in which you had colonization happening in terms of you new know, tribes competing against each other, but the, the but the humanity aspect remains. Even when you go back as far back as the Sudan or Egypt, even part Somalia. When you look in terms of the treatment of people, then they were very humane in terms of their treatment of people. This, this brutality, this barbarism only happened with the, the advent of the West or the evolution of the West and once you start treating people as lesser human beings simply because they were colonized. So there's very uh, degrees. So, so, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me finish. We listen to you. Listen to what you had to say. All right. All right, now, the second, the second thing in terms of the question that you raised, I have no problem with people saying I'm an African born in America. But the problem with being African-American is that you're saying that, in fact, that this country welcomes you. Philosophically, I have a problem with that. Because if you look at the economic situation, that across the board, politically, socially, or otherwise, the treatment of African people is disparaging. I mean, so this, this, this question in terms of whether or not the broader society see African people as truly American is questionable. My position is that we've never been American. And the one of our downfalls is we continue to see ourselves as American, and as a consequence, uh, we take it for granted. Until we realize and understand who we are as a people, then we can't work together. We can't move forward. So the problem is that when you identify in terms of America, to some extent, it negates your ability in terms of moving forward. And that's a philosophical problem I have in terms of identifying with African-Americans, as you say. That's the problem I have with it. I identify with Africa. It doesn't matter I don't know what tribe I came from. It doesn't matter. When I go back to the continent and I'm with people who look like me, I feel good. I feel very good. And so when I get an opportunity to converse with people who look like me in terms of things that are going on in their world and things going around the world and get their perspective, I feel good because I understand that, you know, everything that you have to say comes from long-held, you know, feeling of oppression and injustice that they're being inflicted upon, they're being inflicted upon them. And so therefore, I can relate to that. And so therefore, I don't want to this question in terms of being proud of being an African. It doesn't matter what part of Africa my ancestor comes from. It doesn't matter. They're African people. Make no distinction. As they say in Swahili, there's no Ubaguzi. Still Ubaguzi, my friend. There is no discrimination of African and African. That's my position. Okay, can I address a couple of points that he brought up there? Because he's basically trying to object to what I said. The Maggie Show, Scholar. All right, so yes, first point he brought up, he talked, his first point he mentioned about is that he tried to say that, for example, the level of brutality and barbarism is unique to the West and that it's not common in Africa and other parts of the world. I, I disagree with that because that's historically inaccurate. First and foremost, all you have to start doing is study what happened in the Middle East, going all the way back to the Assyrians, the Hittites, the Babylonians, and look at the brutal ways of, of conquering and subjugation they did, how they would murder whole groups of people in entire regions or take people and relocate them to another region and bring another group that they conquered and resettle them in a different land. We see this once again done by the Mongols under Genghis Khan that came out of Asia, which they learned that trait from the Chinese who had brutally subjugated and divided them. And then in Africa, myself, my own personal country, Ethiopia, we have thousands of years of what the Amhara brutally subjugated the Oromo and the Sidamo people for many, many years. And even to this day, when the Tigray came to power, they used their power to, to um, exploit and oppress other groups, specifically the Oromos. To the point now where people in our country want to split off and form another country. Now, in the case of the Europeans, 
Europeans learned this behavior because if you know anything about European history, people in England, France, and Germany were brutally enslaved and brutally oppressed, first by the Vikings from the north and then the Romans coming up from the south. That's where they learned this whole, this whole way of living and the heavily competitive environment that Europe was due to the fact they had limited land and limited resources forced the Europeans to develop their military technology faster than everybody else, which is why they had guns and cannons when many other parts of the world were still using spears and arrows. And that's what gave them the competitive advantage that when they went out to other parts of the world, they were able to win very easily. But the main reason they were able to conquer this country wasn't necessarily due to military conquest. It was due to the introduction of uh, bacteria and germs that the native people did not have an immune system built for. Because this exact same thing happened to Europe. When Europe began the, the trade with the Chinese, many, you know, illnesses and bacteria were brought to Europe that the Europeans weren't aware of, that weren't built for. And that's when the Black Plagues happened, and you had millions of people in Europe die. So again, what you're trying to portray as a uniquely European thing, I'm saying is inaccurate because it's a worldwide phenomenon that people have been doing since the beginning. To your second point about African Americans, the reason I use the term African Americans is that's just a distinct way to identify themselves. Why? Because they're Africans that happen to be living and have been raised here generationally in this country. You may be, you may, we can, you may disagree with the fact that America's been treating them as some type of way, so they shouldn't identify that. That's fine. I'm just talking about a unique marker to classify who they are because they develop their own unique culture. And Africans do not identify with African Americans. That's why in my home country, if an African American came in there and you're speaking English, they're going to call you a fringe. They're going to be considered a foreigner. They're not going to consider you one of their own. Because in Africa, we don't identify by skin color. You may quote that Swahili statement, but where we're from, we identify by ethnic group, and we know it by your language and by your culture. So you can't just suppose Africa to be this monolithic thing that has uh, just because you have the same color you belong to. So that's my final point. Carl, well, where's your culture? Where do you come from? My father is Eritrean, my mother is Ethiopian. Okay, go ahead, Hakeem. Yeah. Well, number one, the question in terms of subjugation, I, I thought I was very clear that the history of subjugation goes back to the very beginning of time, and we've got to go back to Africa. I talked about Timid, or I talked about ancient Egypt in terms of that being a reality. What I'm saying to you, when you look at societies like the Great Kingdoms, uh, Mali, Sahai, Ghana, and you look at those terms of how they treated their slaves, it's quite different from the way the West treated their, the people that they enslaved. Uh, when you look at in terms of even Somalia in terms of the ability in terms of when, when you talk about war, war was conducted in terms of portrait as opposed to literally killing one another. And a lot of times in South Africa when you had war, it was ritualized to minimize the amount of, to ensure that nobody was that. In other words, respect for life was very, very prominent. So I'm saying that, you know, that the question of subjugation in fact exists, but to, to, what, to what degree? And your notion that the fact that Europeans, because of the, the land being locked in and that, 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 they, that they felt they had no alternative but to be brutal, that's bullshit. It's, the problem is that you had to, how would you justify that today? When you look at the terms of the technological prowess of the West, in terms, you know, why is it that this behavior still persists? There is no, there is no need for that behavior to, to persist, but it still persists. So there's something more fundamentally going on to account for why this behavior is so, is so rudimentary to the minds of so many Western people. And I don't think you can get around that argument. And uh, lastly, in terms of whether or not African people identify someone as African, you know, it's irrelevant. There are Africans who do identify with 
African people who are happy, but you Africans born in America understand who they are, and they are Africans who are ignorant. So, so the point is that your notion that somehow that all Africans are simply ignorant, I think I resent that wholeheartedly because I travel to Africa every year. Not all Africans are ignorant in terms of the reality, in terms of African people born in the United States. And so when I say Africans born in the United States, I say it also for the very same reason that you articulate. And namely, is that the historical experience of African people in America speaks values in terms of who we are as a people. But it's a totally different from African Americans. Because African Americans say that I embrace my enslavement, that I embrace the injustice, that I embrace the suffering. Hell no, I don't do that. So I hope that I make that clear to you, sir. Uh, yeah, anyone else would like to respond to? Yeah, might be heard just because I, I feel like my call was kind of, and, my, and the, the topic I brought up was kind of. Yes, over. I was coming uh, back to your call, caller, but go ahead, <laughs> make your point. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, for one, the, the dude is using guns, germs, steel, guns, germs, and steel. That book that's been debunked and ripped to shred uh, years later, uh, despite some people holding on to it so hard. And the, the idea that, uh, well, we created these weapons and therefore we had to go do these. You take away not only accountability, you take away the idea of ideology of why I never they were doing that. what they're doing. Uh, well, the logic kind of takes us there. After your state, no, you're putting but, but this, No, I'm just getting back to what you were getting to. But everybody else seems to be able to let somebody else speak, and you appear to be the only one who has to jump in. Well, no, Relax. I mean, no one, no one else Relax. tried to falsely frame the other person. Relax, but you did to try Relax. to make a point. Relax. Yeah, but just but don't lie on my on what I said. Just be tell the truth when you say my statement. It, it appears saying. you don't have the discipline to relax. So I, I'll, I'll continue. No, I mean I just call so, it out someone who's being dishonest. You're, if you don't have the integrity still, to be honest, then you should at least you should at least try to be. No, I just gave my I just gave my assumption of what you said. If you don't like it, that's fine. I'm no, you, sure you'll you try be to, you try to frame my argument in a way that I did not state. That's being dishonest. Yeah. I didn't do Again. that to the other gentleman, and that gentleman he didn't do it to me. So I don't know why well, you're doing you that. Did, you you did it to the first gentleman when he was speaking. The first no, few syllables you did it. And then you did it no, just I did not. At no point so did I, did I reframe it, what he said. You appear to be a person who's derailing the show right now. You appear to be a person who's derailing the show. I called in and asked the question because I wanted to hear what these gentlemen had to say about it because I think it's a very pertinent issue right now, this thing that's going on. It, it's getting pretty big. You see all the candidates being asked that question. So right now my, my policy on it has been don't engage. Uh, with the people with that hashtag because nothing good has come from engaging with them. So I said, okay, let them go forward and hit their head and kind of understand what they're dealing with. That will give them, uh, you know, a a better idea politically maybe. But uh, I I do have to to say this, man. At a certain point, man, the idea that someone on the continent couldn't have a colonized mind and – and we say, well, I had this experience, you know, this anecdotal idea of I had this experience and therefore all that. We're like, no, that's not how the world works. That's not how the world has ever worked. And the idea also, that I have all, to think the way you think? Sir, I'm not talking about you. Obviously you are. That's what you're trying to do. Yeah, again, I'd like to finish my point, if that's okay. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. again, when you're dealing with <laughs> with certain people, and uh, a colonized mind state where they believe things to be different than what they actually are. 
or they tell you that uh, conquering, well, conquering has always happened because I can quote or cite X, Y, and Z. And then you say, well, I can cite peaceful uh, situations where groups got together or groups were able to cohabitate. So it's like, no, you're, you're trying to present this as if this is some kind of human default to where conquering is something that humanity has always done. No, you're citing specific cases and trying to use that to say this is what humanity does. It's like, no, that, that would be like looking at crime statistics and saying this person does this, therefore those people do this. So th- th- that's where that extremism gets to. But like I said, get, getting to that ADOS thing, uh, I did, I'd like it if you guys would check it out and uh, see what you think for yourselves. But it, it, it's but really Carla, interesting that this is kind of big Carla, right now. Carla, let me just respond to the points, your points first, and my sucker brother point sucker. This would be my take. Number one, you realize the enemy has confusion everywhere, and they would throw out and create all kinds of things. I wouldn't be surprised if this so-called movement that you're speaking to has been created and has been backed by people like George Soros, etc., to create this kind of confusion, number one. Number two, you know, this whole question of, um, this whole question of reparations, my position is, I don't know if that even if it's if, if even possible that they can pay back, and there's a financial value, a financial number that you can calculate that will be able to arrive at something fair and just of all the damages and harms that they have inflicted on on not just on African people but humanity throughout. I don't know how, what kind of calculation you can use to do that. You know, a friend of mine would say, even if they could come up with the money, how are they going to print the money? Because who trees they going to cut down? Who are they going to pay for the trees they're going to use? But also in terms of this question of reparations, and when the context in America, you can't just limit it when the context of Africa is just in America. it got to be a global thing. And to do it just within the context of America, what they're doing is, again, dividing us and create confusion and have us fighting each other. And number three, in terms of the reparation thing, even if Africa is inside the United States got money today, it still will not change our situation. Because one of the questions you have to ask is, structurally, organizationally speaking, even if you had your money, how would you use it? What would you buy? If the people who have the resources, who have the machinery that you want and need, if they choose not to sell to you, what good is the money? If you even buy the kind of things you have when the confines of this particular um, country, they still have rules and policies things set up, but they still could easily um, take that back away from you. So, you know, uh, you know, I think the first step would be nice to get them first to recognize, number one, that they, they, they have been guilty and they have violated uh, 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 um, African people and they, they, these, these violations have been crimes against humanity and they need to identify who the people are. I think it's important for us to have the information. But in terms of trying to resolve some kind of financial end resort of the damages they cause, I don't know how they're going to do that and what kind of calculation you could use to justify that. And even if they did do it, I think it would be a mistake if you did with the context of uh, just with the Africans in this country. Because, you know, it, it has to be a global thing. Because, you know, um, these same um, 
the diverted forms the African people have been inflicted to in the United States, they have been inflicted to all over the world. And, you know, all this, we are one people, one history. And it can't be separated. So that would just be my, my general response to that. And to my other caller, just point about being African-American, my position is, you know, I don't accept the enemy defini- definition. We did not name or come up with the concept. The enemy came that way. And also I was saying you can't serve two, two gods at one time. You can't have the two allegiance to two different gods. But the concept of America is dialectically opposed to the essence of um, being African. The first contact that we made with these people, they put us to slave. The concept of America represents or stands for theft, oppression, killing, etc. So why would you even want to be identified with anything with, with, with that particular name? And that name in and of itself was created, again, to create uh, division. I do agree with Brother Haki. At best, we know we are Africans who may have been born in this territory that they call America, and I don't even recognize the America because it's not, it's, it's, it's not Europeans. You know, other people here where before they even came. They are colonizers. So I can't accept the history, the reality, and the connotation of what it means or what it is to be American. And I don't know why we wouldn't want the name anyway, because clearly, as Brother Malcolm said, you know, we didn't follow the former rock. The former rock fell on us. You can see the way they treated us. We could never be part of the inclusion of that concept. So anyway, that would be my response, you know, um, um, to these issues. Um, anyone else would like to say something before we move forward? Brother Moses, Brother uh, Anthony, or um, Jabari? Uh, yes, I would like to add something to, to the points you made, uh, Brother Africa. And that is that um, that uh, that Africa does indeed have many ethnic groups and and many languages, and that Africa it, you know was known by by, by many names. But uh, prior to the uh, to to the uh, uh, human trafficking that was carried out by Europeans, Africa was moving towards larger and larger forms of organizational state formation. Uh, they were at, they, there were different states all over Africa at the time that Ma'afa took place. And, uh, and, and there were Africans that traveled to the Western Hemisphere uh, uh, many years before Columbus ever set foot on the Western Hemisphere. But they didn't. But but they didn't. They did not call what they found a discovery, because they knew the land existed, and the people that lived here were aware of their existence. So uh, so 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 the, the so the so the whole notion of a discovery in and of itself is rather racist. Now uh, now uh, uh, in order to bring about, we need higher levels of organization. We need to get organized. And as Brother Afkarelli pointed out, there is no way they could repay the damages that our ancestors and we have suffered as a people, as, as humanity. And, uh, you know, the way forward is uh, Pan-Africanism, to realize that we are one people with one history and one destiny, and that is the liberation of our homeland, and that's the only way all Africans will be free throughout the world. 
But, but you know, the, the, the fallacy is this. To think that uh, the West will recognize reparation is, 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 is a fallacy. Because in order for them to do that, they got to acknowledge that they did, what they did was not only humane, but it was wrong. Uh, so I don't think that's going to happen. Acknowledgement that what they did was wrong, they're not going to happen. Because in the mind of a lot of Westerners, the position is that what happens to African people is, is, is something that was self-inflicted. In other words, your people sold your people into slavery. And so, therefore, it's not our fault. Where it may be true that there are those Africans like Muhammad Tip Tip and uh, Asuya uh, Dayala out of, uh, out of, out of um, Mozambique, formerly Mo- where it used to be, uh, well, formerly, right now it's Mozambique. There's no question that people like those individuals did, in fact, sell African people. There's no question about that. But the sheer magnitude of the problem in terms of selling African people, not only in America, but through the Caribbean, the Middle East, and Central and South America, uh, when we talk about slavery and slavery at on that scale, uh, clearly that was an atrocity that was committed. And to get the West to admit that, it's not going to happen. So anyone who thinks that reparation is going to, going to succeed in America, particularly in America, it's not going to happen. I know that right now. Because the West, first, first thing they do, uh, when Bill Clinton made a statement in terms of what happened to African people was a travesty, he, said, he, made, he made a caveat. He said, well, I'm going to say that, but keep in mind, there is no culpability. <laughs> so, so he was clear on that point. He was clear on that point. Uh, there will be no culpability. We're not, you know, I'll, I'll say this because me saying this doesn't carry a lot of weight. But don't expect the masses of Westerners, in particular corporations who participate in the slave trade, to acknowledge the wrongdoing. So I think it's, it's somewhat disingenuous of us to think that they're going to actually honor reparations. And one, one last point I think is important to note. Strategically, one of the things that African people have to think strategically. So those Africans around the world who understand that we're all one people, it is important that we work together to create that unity among, in, throughout the diaspora. Because this is important. Because without that unity, there's no way Africa unilaterally is going to free itself. It's not going to happen. Simply because the vested interests, the, 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 the economic, the economic uh, ties to the West are simply too great. Uh, so that's not going to happen. So it's going to take Africans throughout the diaspora in terms of making it possible to free Africa. And it's good that there are Africans throughout the world, throughout Central South America, the Caribbeans, the U.S., Europe, uh, Central and South Middle East, who understand the, you know, our, our, our common calling and understand that we have a common destiny. But to fulfill that destiny, we have to work together. So it's good that those Africans are conscious and not all Africans are ignorant. So let's make that clear. Okay, then, to, to our callers, hold on, to our callers, what we're going to do right now before we take our station break, call them, 6103, we'll let you make your final statement. you got about one minute, whatever you want to say, you can say it. Then call them, 4727, we'd like to hear your final thoughts. Okay? So go ahead, call us, 6103, your final thoughts. Yes, thank you, sir. I just want to say, as far as the issue of reparations, um, what other point in history have you ever seen a group of people who were on the winning side of the situation pay reparations to a side that they conquered? That's never happened in the entire history of the world. It's always the other way around. The losing side pays tribute to the side that beats them. So what you're asking for is something unprecedented. And yeah, and to be asking for it in itself is, is a weak way of doing it. Everyone else in the world had to go to war and fight to be liberated and overcome the people that at one point oppressed them. That's all you see consistent throughout history. And the other gentleman brought up a point about why does the West think and act this way? That's a feminine way of thinking. Why is that? Because men are fundamentally competitive. We know our brains are hardwired to be competitive and to compete against those in our environment for resources and power. 
for something they've been doing since the beginning. But this listen, remnant, listen, Paul, I think it has listen, listen, Paul, listen, listen, Paul. Uh, don't don't get into like that bullshit about, about effeminate. You watch your words. You're Catholic. Punk. Now, this punk talk about effeminate. You better choose your words. It, 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 it is an effeminate way. I wish you were standing in front of me and say something like that. I wish you were standing in front of me and say something like that. I'll say it to your face all day, every day. You're not going to do the things. Let him go ahead and finish his point. You got 30 seconds on it. Punk, like, you know, we're talking over the telephone. We're talking trash like that. Matt, bro, you're not doing anything. If you want to raise some meat, we can do that. I'll snap you like a toothpick. You're not going to do a single thing to him. Oh, a a faggot talking all this crap. No, you just talk yourself on the phone, bro. You wouldn't do anything if you were in front of me. So just sit down. Hey, Pop. Hey, Pop. You got the phone number. You know what to do. We can meet. He barking, man. You're just like a little chihuahua. You're just making noise, but you ain't got nothing to you, man. Call me at 37. Well, can I go and get my time in? Okay. Because I'm talking to this crap. I'm talking to this crap. Call him. Your point. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, go ahead, call him. Yeah, this is why it's hard to engage with conservative black Trump supporters. They have a skewed view of the world, and that's why they don't meet many other people like them. So it it is what it is. I'm not surprised by the interaction just now. But as far as what we were talking about, uh, if you look at the Jewish term of reparations, uh, it was a similar fight. There were some who said, no, we don't want their blood money, and they were, you know, almost willing to go to guns in the in the state house over it. So that that's no surprise. There's going to be arguments. But if we're realistic about this, yes, the most you could probably expect is a discussion or a committee to explore, uh, like John Conyers was asking for since, what, the 80s? So, yeah, this topic is not new. No, I don't expect it to change anytime soon. But, like I said, I would suggest everybody check this out on social media because there are a lot of black people who are hurt who are politically naive, who've experienced eight years of Obama, and now, you know, they've kind of got their knife out, man, and and this is how they're going about it. You know, it's reactionary, it's ridiculous, but we also have to be aware that it's out there. So look up Tone Talks, Yvette Carnell, ADOS movement, and, you know, see for yourselves what I'm talking about, and, and you'll probably come to the same conclusion as far as engaging with them, uh, because I don't know if it's useful. But, uh, yeah, reparations has been paid out for genocide and humanitarian crisis. Uh, it happened to the Japanese who were interned. It happened uh, to the, you know, Jewish people from the Holocaust. So the people who experienced the Ma'afa are the most deserving as far as who has the most concrete case. But I do agree with you, brothers, as far as in America, the admittance of that would mean really going back into the, you know, into the uh, – <laughs> Into the casework, looking at the corporations, looking at different countries, and also you'd be talking about private lawsuits from families of descendants. So, you know, just to me, the hashtag alone, where they don't even say enslaved, they say of slaves, uh, appears to me a begging portion of, of, of what they're trying to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're trying to appeal to the mercy of the xenophobic white folks and go against all of the immigrants and they think this is a winning play. So, you know, look into that, see what you guys think. And uh, I'll listen, I'll hang on and listen for the discussion because I really want to hear what you guys get into on Venezuela. Okay. Call and relax. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, um, see you on. And um, what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for the calls. When we come back, we will continue our discussion. And I think tonight is still with, is our game, in essence, our game. 
We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move.
planless anything. We always want to try to be as civil as possible and must be conscious at all times. We must remember how the enemy may do things to try to throw you off the path, to confuse you, to create confusion, and we should not bind to the hype. So let's continue the discussion. Panelists, as we talk about the things stealing wealth is our game, we're talking about Venezuela, and we're looking at this article, um, that was two particular points I think was very interesting in terms of looking at what's going on in Venezuela and this so-called um, engineering or this, this attempt to engineer a coup to overthrow the government of Venezuela. In this article, it makes two particularly interesting points. And, panelists, I'd like to get you all to respond to it as it relates to this whole emphasis on how the wealth continue want to steal wealth from other people. As we stated, this is their game. It stated that at this time, the plan for invading Venezuela is carrying out the greatest theft of our people in our history. Trump, with the support of European countries, is appropriating refineries, diplomatic headquarters, and other assets and bank accounts in the United States. Then it goes on and says, what country in the world could think that its monetary reserves have any degree of security in the banks of a former empire, be it on theft and supported by a racial fanatic? Panelists, what point is the author trying to drive home here? that, you know, that you cannot count on, you know, your former uh, colonizer, uh, you know, to respect, uh, you know, your, your human rights or even to honor, uh, you know, international law, which was set up by, you know, the, uh, the imperialist countries themselves. And uh, that's the dilemma that Venezuela is confronted with. That during uh, that d- during the time when ne- when neocolonialism was dominant, uh, the imperialist countries plundered and robbed Venezuela of its resources and assets, and uh, they were not available to um, uh, you know to, uh, to to help the masses of working people in Venezuela. Now uh, that uh, the government is trying to reverse that. But it's only had 20 years to do so, and uh, and it's taken decades to get to this point. So I think the dilemma uh, the dilemma is that uh, that 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 Venezuela is trying to maintain its sovereignty so that it can resolve its problems in uh in as a constructive a manner as possible, minimizing bloodshed. Which seems to be opposite of what uh, Juan Guaido uh, is seeking to do. What right does they have? The U.S. have to take any country property, any country refineries, any any country bank accounts, based upon people may have differences with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is very dangerous because if in Venezuela today, who would it be tomorrow, the next day, the next day? One of the things I think it raises is that this present international monetary system on a global level, if we are operating under context, then we are all at stake or or have put ourselves in a position to become the next Venezuela in terms of how U.S. 
is planning on to suffocate them from being able to, be, to survive be self-sufficient. There got to be other alternatives outside of the international system because it is showing its ugly head in terms of if you don't agree with what I say and do, then I will gangster it and take your stuff. Oh, uh, about, uh, Brother Africa, can I add something? This yes, is ma'am. an unprecedented. Yeah, this is an unprecedented. The, uh, the U.S. did this to Haiti in the early part of the 20th century, uh, shortly after uh, World War One. They seized. Uh, they took. Uh, they took Haiti's gold, and they put it in a military base in uh, Kentucky. I believe Fort Knox, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, so this has happened before, and uh, and and it could happen again if people don't start to to, to stand up to it and and, and put an end to it. So, uh, and you know, so Haiti is, uh, you know, so Venezuela rather is fighting, uh, you, you know, fighting for its survival right now. And, uh, you know, and the masses of the people uh, in the Caribbean, Central, and South America support the Venezuelan people. Uh, even uh, even the mass of the people in the two governments that sided with the Trump regime, uh, Haiti and the Dominican Republic, the masses of the people are up in arms over what their governments did in terms of turning against uh uh, the Socialist Party of Venezuela. You know, panelists, uh, remind me of a point I read years ago, where Arthur wrote that ever since after ever since World War II, any country that has engaged in confrontation with any Western nation, they now engage with them on a one-on-one basis. You are fighting them as a group, and Venezuela is a good example. Just. Not only they about, uh, not only have they confiscated the resources of the country inside the U.S. territory, but it has its allies, Europe, France, and general. They are doing the same thing. Europe has already kept billions of dollars in gold that belongs in Venezuela when they refuse to refuse to turn over. So they are a group. They are a group. They are. They are. And Tupac would say they are gangs. They are, they, they are the only mafia, where they are just imposing their will, gangsting their will on the rest of the world. At some point, the people have to, from a global perspective, they're going to have to deal, deal with this. This is the reality of what we're dealing with in the 21st century. Yeah, well, you're right. You're right, you're right, you're right Brother Africa. I mean, essentially what you're talking about is gangsterism that exists in the West. And so for the for the European Union to go along the U.S. for, for such criminal activity, uh, speaks volumes in terms of just how cogent that relationship is, uh, in terms of uh, you know willingness to do that which is wrong. Uh, so one of the things we have to understand, given that reality, so uh, anything short of a different monetary system is simply is not going to bring about the desired results. Which is why it's so important that countries like um, China and countries like Russia create in the process, in addition to Iran, in the process of creating its own monetary system to get out of the SWIFT system, which is controlled by the West. Because as long as the SWIFT system works, then all countries uh, who deal with that system are at the mercy of all kind of uh, all kind of shenanigans uh, when it comes to to their resources. So what's happening to uh, to to Venezuela is no question about it. It's criminal, 
And the thing, the thing is, Brother Africa, if in fact U.S. was a law-abiding country, if it didn't unique, if it didn't routinely violate international law, it would be in a, Venezuela would be in a position to go to the Supreme Court and under alien tort statutes and actually raise the case that what the U.S. is doing is fundamentally criminal and it's unfair and it's crippling my population. But of course, we understand U.S. is not uh, um, uh, particularly uh, favorable toward. Uh, something like in terms of uh, respecting international law, so that's probably not an option for Venezuela to 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 achieve. Uh, so I think that the bottom line is that uh, you know to the extent that Russia and China is successful in terms of creating an alternative system to this one, this kind of trust is going to happen unless nations get together once and for all and say, listen, we got to put an end to this. That we must stand united and we must fight for that which we, we perceive as correct. So I think that's the only thing they can do in terms of preventing these kinds of process from happening in the future. I mean, what they're doing to Venezuela internationally, they're also doing to its own citizens internally. This question about where they raise the issue that what country is, what country in the world would think that it's money is um, monetary reserves has any degree of security in the banks of a former empire, be it on itself and supported by a racist fanatic? One of the things that came to my mind in terms of looking at the U.S. legal system, most citizens of the United States don't realize that, one, if you look at the money used, it's not really real currency. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a debtor, a debtor note mean that you are in debt. It's a debt or note. And all the so-called monies that you put into the bank accounts, legally, once you have put this money into a bank account, then that money belongs to the bank and not you. And people don't understand the legality of how the game is being played. But this is another tool that the U.S. capitalist system has available in terms of how it's going to gangster your money in times of crisis that the world and the people in the U.S. need to know. So in, anyway, um, panelists, well, what we can do right now. Uh, yes, go ahead. Uh, real quickly, uh, now you, you raised the question in terms of fiat currency. The thing I think that people have to understand, one of the things is when the U.S. back in 71 went off the gold standard, uh, it, it did great harm not only to the economy, it did great harm to the workers. In other words, what happens is that now that they can arbitrarily print money at the stroke of a key, they don't need workers. Wealth can be created out of the air. They don't have to, people don't have to actually work for it to create wealth. Now they can simply do it with a computer keyboard, and it's, it's done. And so, therefore, that means that fundamentally uh, they continue to print up, print up, print up, print up more and more and more money to the point where the dollar is virtually useless and people are abandoning it all through the world. Uh, the country is fundamentally uh, in flux. Uh, the economy is very, very destabilized. As a consequence, the desperation grows as far as the ruling class is concerned, and so the people resources uh, is something that's, that's, that's fundamental to them because they see it as, as, re, as, as survival, and so they're willing to simply steal to, to do whatever uh, because they realize that in, inevitably the system is going to collapse on its own, on its own uh, guise. And so, therefore, uh, nobody should be surprised when they engage in criminal activity that is, an, is a form of desperation. That's what we have to keep in the back of our minds when we see these kind of criminal acts taking place with respect to the U.S. and the Europe. 
So in terms of closing, we'd like each one of y'all make y'all a closing remark, and we will continue this. There will be a part two on stealing wealth is our game. And for this article tonight, to our listening audience, when you get a chance, please check it out. It's titled Donald Trump's War of Recolonization Against Venezuela. Um, it was written on February 1st from Telesur and by Samuel Mukata. So check out. So in terms of the closing, in terms of your closing presentations for tonight, we can start with our uh, call-in participant, our brother online four seven two seven. We'd like for you to give your final thoughts on tonight's program. Your final thoughts, caller four seven two seven. Yeah, I guess my final thoughts would be uh, we're in a weird position right now uh, where ideology is kind of closed off within these echo chambers and YouTube has become basically a radicalization machine uh, because every video you watch, the algorithm tries to create a more uh, radical playlist to a degree to keep you on there. So we have so many people who are starting off their political education by watching lectures on YouTube or, or watching things from people they think uh, know what they're talking about. And because of that, in the information, so-called information age, uh, you've got a place to where most people at this point are really, really, really naive, don't know where they're being led, and don't know what actual movements are or don't know what their real political ideology is. They're moved by issues. So it's a reactionary country. And it, it becomes really difficult uh, in certain black spaces trying to figure out, okay, what's what, who's who, and who understands what. But uh, either way, man, salute to you all for doing the show. Always respect your information. Always good to hear new stuff. And, uh, yeah, man, this, this is definitely going to get deeper. I, I would recommend uh, that, that uh, the Intercept with Skate Hill, they actually brought in a few people uh, politicians from Venezuela and, and really dug into the meat bones of the issue that most people don't get, you know, through corporate media because we know those are the people who beat the war drum. So it is what it is. But uh, good job as always, y'all. Hi, Carly. Thank you for your participation. And I always remember whenever there's struggle, there will be progress, and we thank you. Okay, let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight? Yeah, well, we need a a, a, a scientific uh, outlook on these issues. Uh, what is the nation? You know, what what uh, what you know ideologically uh, is required of uh, of us as as internationalists and. Uh, I don't know. This is this is these are very difficult and, and uh, 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 complicated issues that we're dealing with. And when we talk about Pan Africanism and uh, and how it applies to the to the situation we're faced with, uh, certainly it's hard. It's definitely you know we can't begin with the U.S. as a as a as a the beginning of history, so to speak, for for African people, we have to we have to go back to the roots, and uh, we have to demand uh, 
Africa was under scientific socialism for sure as a as a as a uh, solution to the problems that we face at the beginning of the as a as a the essential solution. And uh you know, but we we the struggle continues and uh and we need to study, study, study. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. And also, I believe, Brother Haki, the African Women Association will be taking this annual tour to Cuba. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Sure. But first, let me just say, uh, Brother Africa, the thing is that, you know, I get sick of, sick, I'm tired of people who equate intelligence with being soft. I just wanted the punk to realize, you know, that he know where I'm. I'm in Richmond. So anytime, everybody know me. So if you're willing to, you know, if you want to make arrangements to get with me, we can do that. I just, I just, people like that just irritated me no end. It was a good conversation until he started throwing in these, 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 these insults. And so that's why I went off. And I know I should have been cool, but this guy, every time he calls in, he says something provocative. And I, knew, I should be able to ignore him, but this guy just pissed me off because his dumbness, his ignorance is, is conscious. He's consciously been ignorant. So it just irritates me. But in any event, the African Women Association should be going on a um, all um African Freedom Riders tour of Cuba. We'll be traveling the road of liberation and freedom to Cuba. We'll be going to Guantanamo, San Diego de Cuba, and Havana. This trip will take place July 24th, uh, July 31st, 2019. And for more information, we encourage people to give us a call at area code 202-714-9435 or visit our website at www.aaa-cubatours.com. And my final statement is always, Brother Africa, I encourage people to unravel the matrix because the situation is very critical and we have to become in, in, in involved as well as informed. Thank you, Brother Aki. And Brother Anthony, give us your final thoughts. And also, Brother Anthony, um, I know that your organization, the AAPRPGC, has put out a solidarity statement in reference to calling for all kinds of African people to come to the aid of Venezuela, how can we find out more about the statement and more about your organization? Certainly. Uh, you can find our solidarity statement and uh, some background about our organization by visiting our website at www.aprp-gc.org. And... Uh, also, uh, my final closing statement for tonight is, in spite of all of our differences, uh, linguistic, religious, uh, etc., we have to come together as one people, and we have to build a unified socialist Africa. So I urge everybody within the sound of my voice to join an organization that's working for our people's liberation. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Thank all my panelists. Thank our participants. Thank our listening audience for allowing us the opportunity to come to your home on a weekly basis where we can speak truth to power and to provide you with information so that you can think. Also, expose you to various organizations so you can join one. If you know the weapon for the oppressed people, the weapon that we all need in order to overcome our oppression is organization. With organization, that's where you acquire power. And with power, it will give you the ability to do, the ability to overcome all of your shortcomings in Africa. So please, brothers and sisters, 
friends and allies, join an organization that is doing something to help alleviate the suffering of your people and humanity. Until next time, you would like to give a shout-out to our struggling brothers and sisters in Palestine, and we also want to remind you that all we have is redemption time. That's what Marlon would say, but we also have more than that. We have unity once we decide to do it. So we're going to end with Palestine and Redemption Song, and we'll see you next week at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You have been listening to Africa on the Move. I'm the voice of Africa, Brother Africa. We'll see you next week. So we will continue to scribe go forward hour and backwards novel. Here's a tribute to our Palestinians, brothers and sisters. You are not forgotten. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer. To give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. 
Thank you.
participants on this program, please email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com.